but by hours we are uh, somewhere around 72 hours before the decision before judgment day and i've got a very special guest here with me on today's episode i just want to remind you if you have not voted yet there are still many early voting states that are voting today on saturday today on sunday this weekend uh even on monday so go to iwillvote.com iwillvote.com Type in your state or your uh, zip code, and it will tell you where you can go to early vote or if you're going to vote on Tuesday. It gives you the locations. It gives you the locations of the ballot drop boxes. I mean, it has everything there. Uh, so uh, this is our, our moment, and I, I know the lines are long. I know, I know. But if the, really, if that's the only sacrifice being asked of us, considering, considering what our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents went through, uh, this is this is this is really nothing, and um, somebody had a good idea uh, this uh, past week that uh, we should all do playlists and uh, take take it in a boombox uh, to the polls with you and play some music for people. Play play, and other people will have theirs. You'll have me have to take turns playing music, but play play some music, and people are dancing in line. Uh, uh, some people come and dance. Uh, for you it's really an incredible thing so i've made my own mixtape i'll have it on the podcast platform here and it's the rumble michael moore dance party go to the polls mixtape from my album so you want to dance the trump away volume 54 just go I've, i've got a little bit of something for everybody from boomers to zoomers all kinds of of music and i think most of it you can dance to even if you don't dance you can dance but let's go have some fun let's do this let's ending fascism has never been more enjoyable uh and that's how we're going to feel uh in, in a few short days so and don't forget to go through your address book and call somebody and remind them or text them send them an email remind them to vote and look for somebody you think that may not be voting you can double your vote by convincing just one person who isn't going to vote I'm so honored that as we get near the end, and this is one of my last uh, podcasts before uh, we close the polls on Tuesday night, to have my guest today as as uh, as part of this. Uh, when he was on last time, we were talking about what do we do? You know, we were out there working for Bernie and hoping for Bernie, and it didn't happen. What do we do? He said, "I will vote for Joe Biden, but I will not lie for Joe Biden." I mean, that hit me, and I have used that line for the last three months. Uh, and, and I've used it also as my guidepost to make sure that I'm honest with people about what's ahead of us here with no further ado. He's the professor of the practice of public philosophy at Harvard University, and he holds the title of Professor Emeritus at uh, Princeton that means he has only, I think, six more Ivy League schools to go. He's written 20 books, <laughs> including classics like Race Matters, Democracy Matters, and along with his most recent book, Black Prophetic Fire. He's a leader. He's an inspiration to many and to me and a mentor. And I am honored to have him back here on Rumble. Please welcome Dr. Cornell West. Cornell. Hi, dear brother. You know, it's always a joy, always a blessing to be with you. What a spiritual soldier you are. What a love warrior you are. What a freedom fighter. But what I love about you, though, brother, is never just anti, it's never just contra. It's rooted in the love of those sly stone called everyday people, their sanctity and their dignity. You are a progressive patriot. You understand there is a best in America, just like there's a worse in America. 
And I'm telling you, we're in a grim moment. We're in a bleak moment, but there a is bleak. some light. It's light in the tunnel. And that light has to do with the vision and courage that we find among our fellow citizens and what I find in your heart and in your soul. So I'm wow. always inspired to be in dialogue with you, brother. I must well, know. Thank you for, for saying that. It means it means a lot to me. Let me ask you, Cornell, that, that, that quote of yours that I have, it's been my mantra. Uh, as I've spoken on on shows, I always tell audiences and people online uh, what you said, and that I am I am a believer in this. That yes, I am voting uh, for Joe Biden, but I will not lie for Joe Biden, and I will not lie to you, Cornell. Have you been able to uh, f- continue to follow this wonderful pledge and challenge that that you issued there so many months ago? Oh, absolutely, though, brother. No doubt about it. One wants to be consistent. We've got to push the neo-fascist gangster out of the White House. We have to have an anti-fascist coalition. That means we have an anti-fascist coalition with the very neoliberals who are still our foes. We've got to push Brother Biden across the finish line. And what that means is voting for him without endorsing his vision. Because if he wins, we're going to put tremendous pressure on him. It means voting for him without lying about his past or his present. It means voting for him without downplaying the personnel that he has now around him, that we ought to be very critical. But we're at a fork in the road, and if Trump wins, the very conditions for the possibility of democracy go under. That's why Mm. Angela Davis, that's why Michael Moore, that's why Noam Chomsky, that's why Bob Ovakin. We can go on and on and on of folk who have been traditionally very, very much on the left, understand this neo-fascist threat that is already in the White House. But the important thing, though, brother, is, and this is why when I talk about you, I always accent the moral and the spiritual. You see, this is not just a political operation. Any justice that's only justice soon degenerates into something less than justice. If you don't have the deep care, the deep concern, the deep love, the deep compassion, to be a long distance runner, a marathoner in the struggle for justice, then you're missing out on the moral and spiritual dimension. And right now we've got a predatory capitalism that is so rooted in a greed at the top, it generates impunity, say and do anything and get away with it, treat poor people anyway, treat working people anyway. Then you've got the white supremacy still operating so strong. Treat these black folk anyway. Shoot them down. Get away with it. Treat these brown people, these indigenous people. You see, that's a spiritual and a moral condition with vicious political consequences. No democracy can survive with that kind of moral decrepitude and spiritual decay. And so we're really looking at this from the legacy of Martin King and Rabbi Heschel and Dorothy Day and Fannie Lou Hamer. They understood that religion and the arts at their best, prophetic religion prophetic Catholicism, prophetic Mm. Judaism, prophetic Buddhism, prophetic Hinduism, prophetic Christianity, and so forth. Similarly, so with the arts, our artists are very important. Shelley's no joke. Poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Why? Because they allow us to authorize an alternative reality based on a vision that lures the best of us, the better angels of our nature. And America has a tradition of such prophetic figures, not just the famous ones. We were talking about Stevie Wonder before we got on the line, you know, love and the nigga <laughs> love. You, you, know, you ain't done nothing. But, but also everyday folk in their own homes, their families, their synagogues, their churches, their mosques, their civic associations, their little leagues, their uh, music uh, uh, networks, all of those have this prophetic fire and the very light that we see is connected to that prophetic fire in the souls of our fellow citizens. That fire and that light has not gone out. It's just unable to translate into a political consequence, into institutional power, into structural power, so that we get the kind of full-fledged democracy that we so deeply deserve. Let's let's talk for a minute. You you brought up how... um, Joe Biden's, you know, vision is not your vision. It's not my vision, but that that doesn't mean, uh, you know. And I've tried to explain this to people that, yes, just admit it. It doesn't. 
his policies, his vision, whatever, they're not yours. I mean, some of them may be, you may share some things, but a lot of it isn't. But that's, you know, I don't know. I, I've, I don't know. I don't like broccoli, but I eat it because I think I know it's, it's, it's probably going to help me. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't mean to compare, um, Biden to, to broccoli. Maybe I'm doing a disservice to broccoli by doing so, but I'm just saying. Don't, that, you don't want to uh, underestimate broccoli either. Now I eat a whole lot of it at this Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes. That, it's always better when it's Chinese. It, 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 it's helped but, me to survive. My so the, now the people that are listening who are, who they like Joe Biden a lot and they like his vision. Um, thank you for doing your job. Thank you for voting, et cetera. I just want to give a couple minutes, though, to the people um, who are still maybe struggling with this because, uh, you know, he he hasn't done that. He's he keeps talking about how he he defeated socialism and all this crazy stuff. And I, I don't want you to sit out this election simply because we don't like some of these things that we're we're hearing from Biden, but but how do you square that, uh, Cornell? I mean, and listen, I mean, you're talking now to maybe somebody that voted for Bernie that doesn't know if they're even going to vote uh, uh, this week, uh, or you're you're talking to somebody who's just had it. They've, they're fed up with the system. They're fed up with having to vote for another Democrat uh, like this instead of the kind of Democrat that we wish you know was more in the FDR tradition of a Democrat. What do you say uh, to people who are still right now? in the hours, the days leading up to this, um, haven't quite decided whether they can put their mark down for somebody who can't say that he believes in, in Medicare, free health care for all citizens. No, I say that, uh, again, you know, it's the golden rule. I would like, I want to get inside of people's own hearts and minds and souls and see the lens through which they're looking at the world, just like I would like them to do that with me. And I can see people concluding that they just find it impossible to vote for Biden. I, could, I think they're wrong. I think I've got a counter argument against it. I think the fascist threat is such uh, uh, that even uh, uh, holding on to that kind of uh, moral conscious as the sole factor could generate a possibility of a fascist regime in which all of us go under. But yeah. they're still comrades. They're still comrades. We just disagree. You know, I think we have to be able to have various left cultures and opposition cultures where people disagree and they have strategic and tactical differences in this regard. But I just want to bear witness as to why I think it's important to get the neo-fascist gangster out of the White House, not because the extraction of Trump somehow out of the White House is going to generate some nirvana or some kind of utopia or paradise. Because he's got a whole host of followers. The white supremacy cuts deep. The commitment to Wall Street cuts deep. The commitment to big pharmaceutical companies and big private insurance companies in the fossil fuel industry cuts deep. Uh, uh, so that it's not just Trump in and of himself. He's a sign and symptom of something. Mm. But with him in the White House for another four years, uh, uh, we just go off the cliff. And, and, and you can't, I don't think you can argue that you can hold on to a moral conscious solely and go off a cliff. There's got to be some intervention of some mm -hmm. kind of wise judgment. But but I could be wrong. I'm fallible like anybody else. So I've got, you know, I've got a few comrades who are still holding out. And uh, some are voting for Brother Howie and Sister Angela. We've had them on the show. We argue back and forth. I think we've got to always stay in contact with people's humanity, though, brother, and sure. why people are doing what they're doing. But I just think they're wrong. But I say, yeah. as you know, I say the same thing about Brother Trump, you know, and I call him a gangster. I also know I've got gangster inside of me. I was a gangster before I met Jesus, and now I'm a redeemed sinner with gangster proclivities. And so he's still a human being. He's just a dangerous human being. He chooses to be a gangster. And calling somebody a gangster is not a subjective expression. It's an objective condition that when you are shot through with a cold-heartedness and a mean-spiritedness and the pathological inclination to lie, and think that you can do anything and say anything like the Semitists and Plato's Republic and get away with it. That's what a gangster is. And a gangster is not a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is the compliment that vice pays the virtue. So even a hypocrite wants to hide and, and disguise virtue and act as if their vice is virtue. That's still an acknowledgement of virtue. A gangster has no sense of virtue, no sense of shame, no sense of regret. That's what we've been dealing with for Trump. Not just the last four years in the White House. 
he's been like that all of his life. I mean, we, we know that from, right. from Mary and right. the others. He's been like that all of his life. So he's, he, he's kind of sad to live such a joyless and, and, and in many ways a loveless life. And so he's still on the human continuum with us, but he's got to be pushed out by democratic means so that when we get the results, he is gone. So that America right. can begin to re, re, revitalize itself democratically in a very deep way at the workplace, in, in, in civic life, in, in our politics. And that's going to be a huge journey because Biden himself is still the neoliberal uh, that he is. And we're going to, he's going to require tremendous pressure and power brought to bear. But for my you know, fellow leftist folk who say, well, Brother West, you're selling out. You've been talking about supporting both Bernie and supporting leftists. I said, well, you, 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 you all have a right to say, you got a right to be wrong. I, I, I fight for your right to be wrong. I just thoroughly convinced that this anti-fascist coalition has to be in place, not just because of what's happening in America, but of course for nuclear catastrophe, ecological catastrophe, we're talking about the future of the planet. The future right. of the planet's at stake. Aren't you, but aren't you tired? I know I am of always having to vote always against, always to remove, remove uh, Reagan, 12 years of Reagan and Bush the first time around, to remove W, to remove, it's just nonstop. When do you and I get to vote for positive reasons, positive meaning because I believe in this, because I love this candidate, because I love, when will that, will that happen in our, our lifetime? Because it, it's debilitating, uh, Cornell. I hear you, but I mean, we, those wonderful times that we had together with Bernie, though, man, you know, we yeah. really had a chance to, <laughs> yes. to be four. We got somebody who was decent, had a vision. Of course, he's imperfect like any other human being, but he's the best that our our our, our, our mediocre electoral political system can produce at this time. You know, big money is just so thoroughly colonized the electoral political system that you know Bernie was such a countervailing force in terms of trying to swerve from big money. And you saw how the neoliberals came together and, uh, and, 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 and pushed him out with Obama and Biden and Brother Pete, Sister Amy, O'Rourke, they all came together within a few days and said, nobody any, or anybody but Bernie, anybody but Brother Bernie. Yeah. And, and we, yeah. you know, we, we struggled with that. And that moment is over, but it's something still that we have to, be cognizant of because it shows the degree to which at the moment the best that we have in terms of fighting fascism in terms of voting just two and a half minutes as my dear brother paul street has said with such wisdom for two and a half minutes we vote for one of our political foes because it is a impediment against a fascism that calls into right. question the very possibility of any kind of democratic politics. Yes, no, I get that. that. We are over and over and over again. Absolutely, we are fighters of fascism, and that is that is the uh, at the top of the ballot here this yes. week. I mean, the United, um, United States had alliance with who? With the Soviet Union to fight fascism. But just tell me, just that give me some hope here that we're that we're going to be able to in our lifetime vote for an AOC. Or vote for some, just something different than the same old, same old that we've that we have to go and vote for because we have to vote for them, as opposed At to I want to level, presidential level. Yes, yes, I don't know, yes. brother. You and I get no, we get no now, brother. You much younger than I. Oh, I we, we get no, but I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, we have to just realize. I mean, these are these are decadent times, though, man. So, yeah. in a way, just fighting to keep alive the memory of the best is a kind mm. of victory. That's what it is mm. to live in an empire undergoing such decline and decay. Uh, uh, this is not uh, the 60s where the, the U U.S. empire is really just striding on the international stage with just tremendous right. power and intervening in Latin America and the Middle East, Iran, and uh, uh, overthrowing democratic governments in order to fight communism with all of the imperial hubris that that takes. That's the 60s. Now, domestically, yeah. it's progressive, but internationally, the United States, the, you know, major uh, hegemon. No, now that hegemon is slowly but surely beginning to run out of gas with military overreach, with a, 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 a overbloated military budget, 
the corruption, not just in White House and Congress, but the corruption in the elites across the board, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Hollywood. I mean, one of the things our own Christian tradition, you know, when Jesus made his way to Jerusalem and ran out those money changes, brother, you know, that temple represented White House, Pentagon, Wall Street, mm-hmm. Hollywood, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all of those elites were there. And what were they, what, what united them? Greed, status, yeah. fame, yeah. spectacle. They had turned their backs on poor people. They had turned their backs on looking at the world through the lens in which poor and working people were at the center. And that is very important in terms of keeping track of the times in which we live. But you and I know, brother, shoot, man, we got smiles on our faces, man. We got so much joy in our hearts and so because we've got memories and we've got experiences of solidarity that nobody can ever take away from us. So there's always some surplus there, always yeah. some surplus in your heart and mind and soul when it comes to fighting for poor and working people, my brother. And there is a great joy in that. And I, I do feel that. And I, I did a, a couple of weeks ago, I did a, uh, an episode called Mike is happy. And I just went through the whole list of the things that, that I'm happy that I'm thrilled about. <laughs> And, and the, uh, and what I see ahead of us here, I see, I see the ability of the tens of millions of us, hundreds of millions of us, uh, affecting a change. I, I've seen it. You've seen it. We've been on the road. We've been there. We were there in Iowa this year. We were there in New Hampshire. We were on the road. We saw, we saw, uh, what was going on. And, um, and I understand, I understand why a lot of people in the democratic primaries and eventually, they just got afraid. Fear is a fear is a killer, man. It's really they did. They just knew that they we got to go with the, what we what they felt was the safe the safe bet. Um, and, but you know another strategy of neo-fascism yeah. and Trump actually is uh, is quite good at this. It's just to beat people down, no brother Michael. Just to beat yeah. people down with so many yes. lies every day. Beat people down with hubris, with arrogance, with condescension. Act as if they don't exist. Very much like you, we saw in the debates, you know, somebody asked either either a, a Brother Pence or a Brother Trump a question. They just act like the, 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 the person asking the question was non-existent, just a non-entity. Right. I ain't got to ask your right. question. I'll say whatever I want to say and I'm going to go as long as I want. Well, you see, that's precisely the gangster mentality with the combination of the greed and the hubris. And so people just get tired of getting beat down and they feel as if they're helpless. They feel as if they're hopeless. And that's the role of visionary statesmen. I mean, good God, you know, Biden it is, it is, is a neoliberal politician and we're trying to push across the line. And right now, that's, that is the major priority indeed. But what we need are visionary states, women, visionary states, men, visionary states, persons who provide a larger sense of what America could be at its best, not simply a muddling through in order to just uh, create, I believe, mean, to push back a, a neo-fascist. But it's also true. I mean, I've been blessed. Man, we made a wonderful song with Brother Keith Benson uh, uh, on on voting. Uh, we did another song with uh, my dear brother Brandon uh, on uh, uh, Got That Hope. We did another song with William, William I Am. You probably saw that even by himself. Yeah. He tweeted that. Yeah, yeah. So you got to be able to be in the culture with the music, trying to make sure that that love and justice is at the center, even if it's in part a critique of Biden, but also a, a voting for Biden over against the neo-fascists who must go. What do you think um, for people who are listening? And maybe we get off the whole thing about the presidency, but you know, the average mm-hmm. everyday American um, and the things that, that they're concerned about, they don't want to die from this virus. Uh, they'd like their right. job back. Right. Um, They'd like the kids to be safely going to school. Um, all those things that, that, and all the aspirations of the country that, that, that I think tens of millions of Americans, the majority of Americans want this country to be something better and different. Um, you know, what, instead of just the sort of, yes, we, you know, we're, yes, we have to remove Trump, the monster must go, et cetera. Um, right. But, but there's also this other, and this is where I, when listening to you, this, this element of it's, it's not, I've been telling people, I don't like false hope. In fact, if action to me is hope. So if you take action and I take action, that creates a legitimate hope uh, because we can succeed here. 
just so list, so there's, I don't know how many people are listening to this right now. It could be a few hundred thousand. Speak to them about, you have the microphone here. These are now the final words coming from Rumble. And, mm. and I wanted to have you on as one of the last voices uh, before they, they uh, closed the polls on, on Tuesday night. So imagine that these few hundred thousand people are listening uh, right now. And speak to them because I have a lot of people who listen to this um, who are not necessarily, uh, you know, political activists. They're not necessarily out in the street. They're not, um, but they are people, as you say, their hearts are full of love and compassion. Uh, they know right from wrong and they know the kind of country they want to live in. Um, and they, and they believe as I do and you do that everybody, everybody, uh, deserves and has a right to a seat at the table. Absolutely. That's why I keep coming back to the primacy of the moral and the centrality of the spirit in talking about politics, though, brother. And by moral, all I mean is integrity, honesty, decency, generosity, and just the golden rule to be treated in such a way that you would want others to treat you. Uh, and by spiritual, all I mean is just empathy and imagination deployed to authorize an alternative reality, a better reality than the present. And so, you know, this issue of hope is a very, very, very delicate one. Uh, it's not optimism at all. We're not just talking about evidence. It was just a matter of optimism. Oppressed folk would have been, would, would have collapsed a long time ago. The evidence has never been overwhelming that somehow things are going to get better if we keep doing what we're doing. Uh, hope creates new evidence. Hope is something different. Hope is as much a verb as a virtue. You got to stay in motion. But, and I was talking to my dear brother Jeff Stout about this the other day. You know, you remember that moment in Thucydides as the Peloponnesian War, we were talking about the Million Dialogue. And they provide the million people with the choice between getting killed or being dominated. Mm. And uh, Thucydides says, you know, here hope is a real danger because hope actually can uh, uh, disempower people. It can leave people unarmed. It can leave people in a vulnerable condition. So they end up getting crushed in the name of hope rather than hope actually being a form of empowerment so that action connected to hope, grounded in love, driven by a certain faith can allow you to be the force for good that John Coltrane talked about. So that hope has an ambiguity here. You know, the wrong kind of hope can crush you. A wise hope, a mature hope can sustain you. And so when we're talking about being a prisoner of hope, here we are, unprecedented moment, fascism is about to become even more predominant. We're talking about people staying in motion, staying on a love train, staying on a justice train, staying in solidarity, knowing there's people of all colors, genders, sexual orientation, binary and non-binary, all regions. There's millions of fellow human beings, fellow Americans who are on that love train and on that justice train, maybe not agreeing with your ideology, but really wanting to be decent and wanting a decent society. That ought to be wind at our back. Uh, and yet there's never a guarantee. Now, you, you know that better than I, my brother. There's never a guarantee. Not at but all. But <clears throat> if that kind of realistic hope um, that you create is, is the wind yeah. at your back, at the wind of all of our backs, how do we use that? And how do we use that, especially with a President Biden? You know, we, we've, we've essentially, we've, we, I say we, the larger we, um, have a Democratic Senate, we have a Democratic House, and we have a Democrat in the White House. What do we do with that moment? Because I don't want to miss that moment, Cornell. I want, I want, we, we need to be right there, right on the front line of that. Absolutely. Well, as you know, one of the great signs of hope in the last few months, given all the lockdown, the pandemic, given mm -hmm. all the lies, given all the depression-like conditions when it comes to employment, given all the vicious attacks on poor uh, folk and police, attacking black folk, murdering black folk, that we had this, this magnificent display of fellow mm -hmm. citizens. 4,700 demonstrations, 2,000 cities, the largest protest demonstrations in the history of the nation, that that's the kind of fire we have to maintain 
when Brother Biden wins. Because if people think that somehow, oh, now we can go back to things as normal. Oh, thank God. Now we can leave it up to the Democrats no. to be <laughs> able to come through. You say, no, no, the natural children of the Democrats, Wall Street, Pentagon militarism, make things more diverse. They believe in diversity and inclusion and equity, but all of those three simply make the imperial hierarchy and the class hierarchy and the corporate hierarchy more colorful. We need a critique of the system. We need people whose views and visions allow us to see the way in which the operation of the system leads toward conditions in which our fellow brothers and sisters of all colors don't have access to quality education, don't have access to jobs with a living wage, don't have access to health care. And those have to be universal. So that pressure has to be intense, very similar to the kind of pressures that we saw on the streets uh, responding to our dear brother, George Perry Floyd. The third, and of course, you know, we'd never forget you singing so beautifully uh, to Brianna at the first uh, podcast of Sister Trisha and I, uh, oh. the, uh, the tightrope. Oh, brother, you, ooh, you were sounding, you were sounding mellow, though, brother. Sounded like William Hart and <laughs> Del Phonics and Ted Mills with the blue magic of Russell Tompkins Jr. of the stylistic. If you were coming from your soul, though, brother, but that's part of what I'm talking about the lifting of all of our precious voices in the name of an integrity, an honesty, a decency, a democracy, an equality, and a liberty. And I think that that massive, I want to just repeat what that statistic you said. There were demonstrations this summer and fall in 2,000 cities and towns across the country. 2,000! And 4,700 because so many of those, those towns had two or three and four and five of them. That's right. And then there were, yes, then there were 47, if you count then the, yes, you're right. Some of those are large enough where there were two or three or four demonstrations. Right. Absolutely. It was the most amazing, it was a beautiful unprecedented. Thing. Beautiful thing. It was sublime. It was morally majestic to think that when there's a public lynching, our fellow citizens say, this is intolerable and we're going to hit the streets in the midst of a pandemic. We're going to hit the streets when the very president might use military troops against us. And we should also note, though, brother, in some ways, it's disproportionately uh, young brothers and sisters of all colors. Absolutely. What does that mean? That means that the work that our generation did could not translate into a progressive politics, but it did translate into a progressive cultural sensibility among our young people. So that young right. people are not as racist as what Brother Martin was up against in, in Montgomery right. or Chicago, not as racist as what uh, 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 the feminists were up against in, in the 60s with red stockings and on and on, not as homophobic as what Brother uh, Kramer was, Larry Kramer and, and Harvey Milk and the others in the 60s and 70s. That's, that's, that's worth noting. That means that our struggles were not in vain, even though we ended up with the neo-fascist gangster in the White House with his collaborationists, with his facilitators, with his courtiers in the Democrat in the Republican Party, who seemed to be deferential and allow him to get away with anything he says and does. Well, it's such a it's such a good point, uh, Cornell. And I think I think this is going to continue. I, I I know it's going to continue, and I know and young people leading the way. Um, you know, they, it's for, there's finally this a new generation that is appropriately upset at us at our generation because we, when we were their age, we were going to fix all of this, and we were going to hand them a much better world, and uh, and we've handed them um, a, a, a planet that is trying to survive a particular species. That's trying to kill it. We've we've handed them um, in many of our cities a police force that has doubled and tripled in size with tanks and combat weapons um, and a mentality that even without a weapon, the belief, as you said, that the police have the right to lynch. Lynching, what is lynching? It's using a rope to break the neck or to cut off the air supply and suffocate a human being. And 
Uh, they didn't use a rope in Minneapolis. That's the only difference. They used a knee, the knee of a police officer on his neck to kill him, to lynch him. And, um, and I think the thing that our gen- maybe one good thing we've done, Cordell, is we've raised a generation or two of good, good young people who do know the difference between right and wrong, between justice and injustice. And, and they are not going to now tolerate what we've handed them. They will not accept this world. And, and that's why they have organized and organized and organized. And I think those who are listening to this, I want you to know that you have our full support. And it's not like we're saying, okay, go off and do the job that we weren't able to finish. We're there with you. We're there to our dying breath. And I think the challenge, though, for any generation, there are certain perennial truths. Uh, and one of the perennial truths is that every generation is is presented with the challenge of a genuine moral integrity and a genuine universal solidarity. So all the talk about identity, your racial identity, your gender identity, your queer identity, your regional identity, your Catholic identity, your Jewish identity, whatever it is, all of that is superficial if it's not grounded in moral integrity and universal solidarity across the board. I think one of the challenges of our young brothers and sisters, because identity is such a crucial issue, and rightly so, these vicious legacies of white supremacy and male supremacy and homophobia and transphobia and chauvinistic nationalism are real. But the challenge is not to simply mobilize and weaponize one's identity that cuts off other folk who have other identities if you're not connecting with their humanity when it comes to integrity, honesty, and solidarity. So you end up with either in the neo-fascist camps, you got more women, more black folk, more brown folk, but they still on the side of big money, big military, and oftentimes even Trump himself. We've seen this with Sister Amy, Brother Clarence recently, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the, the swearing in. Same is true in the neoliberal mode. Well, we've got Kamala Harris. Yes, we're trying to push Kamala Harris across the board, but all the black identity in the world is not going to translate into an abolition of poverty unless you have black folk who have an integrity and a solidarity with poor people, no matter what color poor people are. And the same would be true among our left. Among the left, we've got to have serious leftists who understand any talk about our different identities has to be grounded in a mold integrity, which is sensitivity to those who suffer no matter what color or gender or sexual orientation, and the solidarity, not just here, but around the world. Dallas in India, Roma in, in, in Europe, Jews in Russia, Palestinians under Israeli occupation, landless peasants in Brazil, workers in Bolivia, poor people struggling in Haiti. If we don't have that kind of universalism and internationalism, Mm. brother, Mm. identity will be used against the left. It will be used against those who are concerned about empowering those in the biblical sense who call the least of these or those France Fanon called the wretched of the earth. Each one of them so precious, each one of them so priceless in every corner of the globe. The world you see, that light at the end of the tunnel um, that you've talked about, um, the light that I even, I even see it. So I'm like, all right, uh, there's, there's hope here. There's a chance maybe. But, but I would like you, I mean, even if you're just doing this for me, but I, I'm, I'm sharing this with all the other people listening to this. But I would like to hear you know, you, what you see, your vision for what could be. Not necessarily what will happen. We know we've got our work cut out for us. But um, let's say we're successful this week or the next week. And by the way, we will only be successful if we're willing to fight to make sure every vote is counted. Um, But let's assume that's what we do and we are successful at it. And on January 20th, fascism is removed officially. um, And we we have somebody in there um, where we might have a chance. Explain to me, share it with me, what that chance looks like and how we get there because 
it will not happen on its own. It will not happen with the people that we're necessarily voting for. Um, some of it may happen, but the real, the real world we want to live in. And, and yes, you and I now are of an age where we're in the final half or third of our lives, however you want to count the end. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I want to see some of this before I go. And well, I want to live it. We've got and I want to participate. Militia that might try to kill us tonight. You know that, though, brother. We our names are on that list. But we, we yeah. plan to live a little bit longer than that. You're absolutely yes. right. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. No, right. I, I think what I would love to see would be just a magnificent flowering of a deep democratic awakening that's grounded in a spiritual and moral renaissance where we recognize that we as a species are going to avoid self-destruction by coming together and cutting the kind of fossil fuel and cutting the kind of air and, 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 and water pollution that we as an empire are going to give up on our massive militarism. We're going to give up on our greed coming out of Wall Street and Silicon and other elites and have a redistribution of wealth downward. So we ab abolish poverty. We abolish low quality education. We abolish indecent housing, that workers have a voice in the workplace in shaping their destiny so that women have a dignity that's affirmed, their right to not just control their bodies, but to gain access to public and private spaces the same way any man can. It can't. Same is true with our precious gays and lesbians. Same with true with our very precious trans, and I say very precious because they oftentimes are dishonored and degraded more than anybody else. And for me, this is a biblical reality. What you do for the least of these, you do to me. I go in the temple to run out those money changers because they are losing sight of the preciousness of the least of these. I'm willing to go to a cross, but I'm going to that cross in such a way that the very blood at that cross of the love drops and the justice drops that people will remember when they take the Eucharist, remember when they look at each other in the eyes, remember that they are like me. They are made in the image and likeness of a God that was willing to die for them in the name of a love and justice, not a hatred and revenge, but a love and justice. That's what a deep democratic flowering, grounded in a spiritual moral renaissance that embraces every corner of the globe so that empires are viewed as obstacles to be pushed away to unleash democratic energy so that those slash stone call everyday people in every nation, that those James Cleveland call ordinary people in every country can straighten their backs up and lift their voices in the anthem of black people and say, yes, we will shape the destiny of our nations and the destiny of a planet so that we'll have access to what is required for us to flower and flourish as the precious persons that we are. You see, that's, that's, wow. that's the dream. Wow. That's, a, that, that's the dream, you see. And that's a dream that's worth living for. That's a dream that's worth dying for. That's a dream that allows us to speak it because others who came before dreamed it and died for us. And no race, no class, no nation has a monopoly on that truth. That it rings deep in the souls and hearts of every human being who has the courage to be in contact with the best of who they are. Wow. When you say it's worth dying for, do you ever think about that? I mean, I know I, know I do. I ask myself, what would I be willing to give my life for? What, if it meant that world that you just described right now, you know, would I be willing to do that? If it took that, I mean, obviously I don't, I don't want to die, but, um, but what, what is the sacrifice I'm willing to make? Um, and it doesn't have to be all, all the way to that, to that large, to that extent of having to give up one's life, but, but the sacrifice I, I or any of us need to make now this week, this month, before January 20th, after January 20th. Um, I, I really want to seize this moment, Cornell. I, I want to take it and run with it. And, and, and let's, let's have the tens of millions, the hundreds of millions of us who are, we're, we're in virtual agreement on most things. Let's, let's, let's just grab it and take it 
and build that that better country, that better world. And and whatever the sacrifices are that, that we need to make, we'll make them because it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And I'll tell you, and, and these kids, these kids that are out there leading the way, they're going to think a little better of us <laughs> after we're gone. <laughs> yeah, I know they handed us this, this crack world, but, but just before they left, they, they joined us. They joined us in the streets. They joined us in the halls of Congress. And, and, and now it's, it's, a, it's a bit better. Oh, absolutely. But no, any, any the kenosis, though, brother, the emptying of ourselves, the donating of ourselves, the giving of ourselves, that sits at the very heart and core of Christian witness. And I think in many ways of human witness for those who have deep care and concern about something such that they're willing to give their all and their all can certainly include and embrace their lives. And for me, you know, I believe the kingdom, if the kingdom of God is within me, then everywhere I go, I ought to leave a little heaven behind. And sometimes that heaven that you leave behind is not just a grin, not just a hug, not just a love. Sometimes it's your life itself, that your life is a gift from something bigger than you. And you have to be willing to give your life back as a gift to others. You just want to make sure that the giving that you do uh, uh, enact is rooted in some kind of love, some kind of compassion, not in a self-righteous way for pleasure, but in a self-sacrificial way for the joy in serving others. There's nothing sadomasochistic about it. It's the highest joy. Somewhere I read, here is she who loves you the most will be willing to put down your life, lay down your life with a smile, with a smile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've taught in prison for 37 years, man. I always, first question I ask my brother, I say, uh, how many of y'all in here take a bullet for your mama? Everybody raise your hand. I said, I got the right crowd. I got the right crowd. I got a hook now, something bigger than your ego, something get beyond your narcissism, something get beyond your egotism. You are connected to something bigger than you. You'll take a bullet. Now, how many take a bullet in your heart? Not just your, not, 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 not just your hand. Another hand go up. I got the right crowd. So we talking mm. philosophy, love of right. wisdom, and the love of neighbor. And for Christians, even love of enemy rightly understood so that this love is going to allow us to get outside of ourselves. And there is no love without fundamental vulnerability and vincibility and willingness to enact kenosis, willingness to empty oneself for the other. And this is one of the great insights of the grand prophetic of prophetic legacy of Jerusalem, the genius of Hebrew scripture, that hesed that loving kindness, that steadfast love where you are willing to give to the orphan and the widow and the fatherless and the motherless what you have to embrace that stranger, to love thy neighbor, that 19th chapter of Leviticus that Jesus would make so much of coming out of prophetic Judaism. We see it among the best of our Muslim brothers, a Malcolm X, a Muhammad Ali, or a uh, our, our agnostic, uh, agnostic and our atheistic brothers building on the love talk, the compassion talk that oftentimes historically goes back to so much of the best of prophetic legacies of either Jerusalem or mm. other religions. Can we do this though, Cornell? Can we do this? Can we, can we, we do this? It's always a possibility, but no guarantee, my brother. The future, always open-ended. History, always incomplete. Depends on the quality of who we are as the human beings we choose to be depends on the quality of our organization, the quality of our visionaries, the quality of our solidarity, the quality of our integrity. It is doable, but it's doable only when those persons who choose to do it are willing to be true to the best of what has gone into them, which has to do with this moral and spiritual excellence to keep alive fragile democratic experiments in the face of empire, in the face of predatory capitalism, in the face of white and male supremacies, in the, in the face of any ideology that loses sight of the humanity. Cornell, what keeps you going? I mean, when you get up in the morning, I mean, what, you're, you're facing a new day. You know that our chances of success seem uh, difficult. And um, so what is it that what do you say to yourself that makes you uh, go out there on another day and say, there's a possibility we can make this happen. Um, you know, there's a, there, we can do this. What, what, what is that 
What's that thought you have? What's that discussion, that inner discussion you have with yourself uh, to say that it's worth it? It's worth it to, to give it another day. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it reminds me of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's great essay on piety. Remember, piety is not uncritical deference to dogma. Piety is the acknowledgement of the sources of good in your life so that you remember. Delphonic say, can you remember? I remember those who came before. I remember my grandmama. I remember my grandfather. I remember my father. I remember my mother. They put something inside of me and that remembrance is inseparable inseparable from a reverence or something bigger than me, something that lures me, something that convinces me to somehow keep going on in the name of a love and a justice and that remembrance and that reverence become pillars for resilience and for resistance. I might turn on a little Donny Hathaway. I might turn on a little Aretha Franklin. I might turn on some John Coltrane. I might turn on some Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughn. Why? Because they allow me to remember and to revere and to have a resilience and a resistance against the evil. So I'm never surprised by evil. I'm never thoroughly paralyzed by despair. The evil is ugly and mighty, but it's not almighty. The despair is real and might get me down, but it never will have the last word ever. Just like the 32nd chapter of Genesis where Jacob is wrestling with the angel of death in the midnight hour, emerges with a new name, but new womb too. God wrestler, Israel, God wrestler. That's Jacob now emerging with more power in the name of what? Justice, justice. And of course that justice applies to every nation. So even Israel as nation becomes an object of critique of the Jacob who is a God wrestler that says there will be justice in Mm. Tel Aviv, justice in the on the West Bank, justice in Ramallah, justice across the board because each and every one of us have an equal status and any form of domination or occupation must be radically called into question, be it in Kashmir, be it in Tibet be it in sub-Saharan Africa with Morocco dominating, keeping track of the least of these with a smile, though, brother. And you know I come mm. from a blues people. You know I come from a blues people. Mm. Mm. Yes. Blues ain't nothing but a personal narrative of catastrophe lyrically expressed. Nobody loves me but my mama, and she might be jiving too. That's B.B. King. He's a king of the blues. Strange fruit. Here come Billy. He come Maripol, the Jewish brother, writing the lyrics. Together, they take us to a place we can confront the catastrophe, but Billy's style, Billy's smile, Billy's remembrance, Billy's reverence, Billy's resilience and resistance in her sonic expression, in her musical articulation of the history of not just Black people, not just Americans, the best of the human spirit. That's what I want to remain in tuned in. And when you have that kind of fire, brother, as the old folk used to say, you got a fire that the world can't take. The world didn't give you and the world can't take away. <laughs> Nobody can take away the, the memories of your, your parents and your grandparents. Put your own so, in solitary confinement. Put your own death row. You still got that those memories tied to that joy, tied to that sense of allowing the fire to bubble over and be the truth seeker and the justice seeker and the wounded healer that all of us, I think, at our best ought to be. Can we make it? Open question. You just don't know. You got to sometimes step out on nothing and land on something, brother. (laughs) I keep asking you for that guarantee. I know. Uh, I know. No guarantee. But the beautiful (laughs) thing is together, you and I in solidarity, you and I with solidarity with brothers and sisters all around the world means that whatever happens, that our fire is unsuffocatable and unstoppable. Even if it Absolutely. looks as if yes. the ruling class is crushed at the moment, we bouncing back, my brother. That's right. I do believe that. I believe in every bone in my body. I I have um, not only the fight in me, uh, but I know I'm not alone. I know uh, that 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 I can legitimately say we are the majority actually now. We, the majority agree on these basic principles 
of of how we should live and how we should treat each other. And and now now it's just the part we we just got to get together and we've got to develop our strategy and then we've got to act. We do those things game over for the for the elites, for those in power, for those for those who would put a knee to the neck of any human being, let alone any class of human beings, any race of human beings. The, the knee Absolutely. is going to be thrown off all necks. Mm. And, and we are going to treat each other differently. I do believe this, Cornell. And again, I know, no guarantee. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not much of a cynic, but I'm realistic enough to know what I've seen and what I've lived through. And what I've seen others live through far, far worse. They've had it far, far worse than me. And I, um, uh, there's not an inch of me that not only doesn't, I don't feel like giving up. I feel like, wow, 2020, in the face of a global pandemic, a killer. That's right. That's right. We, we, we rose up. That's right. We, we the majority demonstration, two thousand cities. Absolutely. But the beautiful thing, though, in the end, though, is that uh, you know, no one of us are Messiah or Savior. We're trying to lead the world just a little better than we found it. And then uh, when right. folk look back on us and say, "How did that brother Michael Moore, grand artist that he was, love of everyday people that he was?" How did he sustain his prophetic witness? Tied to that church, but critical of the worst of it, learning from the best of it, grounded in the American tradition, grounded in the best of it, critical of the worst of it, but an internationalist concern with struggling people all around the world, put out those films that were telling painful truths, lived under death threats, loved his family, loved his friends, tried to do the best that he could, could given whatever imperfections and faults and foibles he may have had as a human being, he gave his all. Hmm. His ours is in so. the trying, the rest is not our business. None of us in control of history, not even in control of our neighborhoods, but our voices can be raised in such a way that we can help shape the destiny of our neighborhoods and help shape the destiny of our nation and world. That's what democracy is about. That brother Michael Moore was a loving human being who tried to be a force for good, a force for democracy. That's, that, 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 that's the best that anybody can ever have said about them, brother. Mm. Well, Absolutely. I hope that's all. You got one yes. life to live. I, one life it's, to live. It's my, only, it's my only life. And um, and I try to live it. That, that quote you keep uh, giving us uh, from the Bible uh, is I remember hearing this from one of the nuns or the priests or whatever growing up that we will be judged by how we treat the least among us, those who have the least um, that, that how we treat them that don't have the same break that you or I may have um, will determine. And in the course in the Bible, it, it determines whether or not you uh, you know go to heaven or whatever. But I, to me, it's connected right to my conscience and my conscience has to live with the fact what, if, what did I do today to make this a better place? And what did I sacrifice? What did I give up so that others could have something, anything? I just, I, you know, I just, I had this thought because we're getting, we're getting near the end of this. And, and, um, uh, and if, if you don't want to do this, that's okay. But I just had this thought because I wanted to ask you this because I've admired you for so long and I've listened to you, but you are a spiritual person and you've written about and you've talked about um, your life and, 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 but you're, you're not, I don't like the word religious in that sense. I just say, cause like you say, you, you do not set yourself up as some savior or, or somebody. Ooh, that's right. that, that, that's right. In fact, the, the opposite I mean, you're so, you're very humble about all this, but, but I, I just, I was just sitting here listening to this and knowing that we're going to wrap up and, and I, I, I wanted to ask you if we could close with you and, 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 and understand I don't mean this in a traditional sense, but to leave us with your prayer, your your words, put something into the ether right now that 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 uh, can act as as um, a guidepost, an idea. Maybe it'll be a spark uh, somewhere in, in somebody. Um, but but 
you know, if these were our final words, if Trump were to, God forbid, win, and that's the end of the democracy, and we do have a 21st century fascist state um, where a podcast like this may not be allowed. If these were yours or mine or anybody listening to this, if these were our last words as, as a free people um, in a democracy that was never fully realized, but a democracy, uh, nonetheless, um, if, if, you could, if you could say to us your words, your prayer for the moment we're in, um, I would just love to close uh, this podcast with that, if you don't mind. And if you don't want to, that's Absolutely. okay, too. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Indeed, indeed, indeed. We pray right on the spot. I would say, dear Lord, we are here to fortify in order to fructify. And by fortify, I mean putting on the whole armor, fighting against any form of fascist domination, any form of predatory capitalist exploitation, any form of hatred. I don't care who it is. Whatever, no matter the black, white, red, Jewish, Palestinian, Arab, we will be committed to fighting against it because we are committed to what is right and what is moral and what is just. And when we are so fortified, we stay fortified, not just staying woke. We're going to stay fortified. We're putting on the whole armor of the truth and justice and the condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak just like that justice is what love looks like in public and what tenderness feels like in private. Even if the fascists triumph at the moment, they are mighty, but they are not all mighty. We know that from the quarters of time. We know that from the annals of history, and we will remain in solidarity with our spiritual and moral integrity, even if we have to go underground, even if they have to be in jail, even if they have to kill some of us. Our movement will not be stopped our movement will not be suffocated and we will do it in such a way that we understand in the end that it's a conflict with human beings, not demons versus angels. We're trying to love our crooked neighbor with our crooked hearts in the name of a justice and a democracy that will forever and ever oppose hatred, revenge, Opposed fascism, opposed patriarchy, opposed predatory capitalism, opposed trans and homophobia and white supremacies of any sort. We ask this in the name of something grander than us, based on the witness of those who came before. Let us hold hands. Let us allow our souls to be locked into a a wave of solidarity against fascism all around the world. And if they think they can crush, crush us like cockroaches, let us spring back like grasshoppers and fly like butterflies in the name of those who came before, no matter what we are up against at the moment. And of course, for me, in the name of Jesus, my Muslim brothers and sisters, in the name of Allah, my Jewish brothers and sisters, in the name of Yahweh, my Buddhas in fellowship with Buddha, all of those other religious traditions with prophetic juices and possibilities, but it's a ecumenical prayer against fascism and nihilism and hubris and imperialism, any ism that loses sight of the human dignity and sanctity made in the image of a loving God. Wow. I say yes to that, to all that. Um, we've never closed an episode of Rumble with a prayer. This is the first. And, uh, and but I think no more appropriate moment uh, because we are, our backs are to the wall and uh, we are up against a viciousness. And if that viciousness prevails this week, a future that is so dark, we don't even want to think about it. Thank you, um, Dr. Cornell West, uh, for those words. Uh, 
for um, that vision of a country we could possibly live in. Uh, we are hours away uh, from those polls closing, depending on when you're listening to this. We're, we're 72, you're 48, you're 12 hours away. Um, and we don't know exactly what will happen. But I do know that we have the power in our hands to make something happen. And um, I encourage all of you to get out there and do what needs to be done and be ready to do what needs to be done in the days and weeks after the election. Dr. West Cornell, thank you for your love and your generosity and your fight and your sacrifice, your willingness to sacrifice even more if that's what it takes. Um, I speak, I know on behalf of many people listening to this, we are, we are so grateful that you are in this world um, and that we get to share it with you. And I know you feel that about us and we'll just, we'll leave it at that. Thank you, my friend, my good friend. Love you, love you, my brother. Love you, brother. Love you too. God bless, God bless your family and loved ones too. Stay strong and safe, but we going to make it through. We going to make it through. Absolutely. We are, I, I accept no other option. <laughs> so we are, I reject, I reject all other options. The only option is we are going to make it through and then we'll see, through. we'll see what we do with that. All right. Now swinging like Ella Fitzgerald and Lester Young, <laughs> Muhammad Ali, brother. <laughs> that feels good to me. That feels good to me. <laughs> All right, Dr. Cornell West, thank you. On behalf of Rumble, this is Michael Moore. Everybody, everybody, we're in this together. There is no choice. Thank you. Be well. I'm so